We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Iron Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersNation.com. Joining me tonight is my co-host, former NFL, NFL defensive back and Debo Samuel's biggest fan, Eric freaking Crocker. Hey, man, how how are you feeling? I'm feeling like a champion, and, and I think I am Debo Samuel's big, biggest fan, man. I, I, I kind of get a, a real, like, joy out of watching him play, man. I, I get excited every time he touches the ball. I, I think that might be my favorite player in the league. It used to be Odell, but I don't know. I'm kind of weird on Odell right now. Yeah, he's kind of turned into a bunch of shenanigans. You know what I mean? Like, it's it seems like every time you hear about Odell nowadays, it's not because of the plays he's making. It's just for some weird reason or another, which is disappointing because when he first jumped onto the, onto the stage, it seemed like he was going to be – and he still can be, but he seemed like he was going to be one of the NFL's greats for, like, the next decade. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, it's just gone a little weird, but – so yeah, Crocker said he's feeling like a champion, and he's. I mean, there's a reason for that because unless you've been living under a rock, uh, you know that the 49ers are your NFC champions. Uh, they beat the uh, the Green Bay Packers at Levi's Stadium on Sunday in what was an emphatic victory. Um, it was not close, and even if you look at the score and you didn't watch the game, and I guess didn't even check the stats, you would see a 37-20 to 20 game and be, okay, you know, it was a game. It was not a game. 
It was not a game. The 49ers dominated the Green Bay Packers in nearly every way, shape, or form. And it was, and all the the score wasn't nearly as as uh, lopsided as it was the first time they played them. The game was the last time they played them in Week 12. They they only put up uh, eight points, and the 49ers were in the 30s again. And this time the Packers got all, all the way up to the 20s. But in reality, their one of their touchdown was on a huge kind of splash play and blown coverage to, to Jimmy Graham. And then there was another or I think it was Jimmy Graham. It was a tight end. And uh, there was another deep. There was just a couple deep throws. 49ers gave up a couple of big plays. But for the most part, for, you know, 55 minutes of that football game, it was just completely dominated by the 49ers um, who ran I mean I'm trying to think of the best way to say this ran wild all over the Packers that was probably the the most running of the football I've seen in a long long time so there's just there's so many different things we're going to be able to talk about this game and today we're going to spend most of our time recapping the game we have you know from from now about a week and a half before the 49ers are playing this Super Bowl Crocker and I will probably come at you at least another two or three times before then. So we'll have plenty to talk about. Croc, why don't you hit us with, I mean, maybe one of the first things that jumps jumps to your mind from that game. You know, what do, what do you think of? Well, during the game, I had tweeted about how, you know, I said uh, Jimmy Garoppolo might throw 10 times this game. And you know what? Let me, let me find the actual tweet. All right. But it, it was in context to the 49ers running the ball. And I thought they were running the ball extremely effectively, right? I mean, that, 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 that's the obvious. And for whatever reason, I knew it would upset, uh, you know, the mainstream media. And, you know, they would have a lot to say about it, you know, with, you know, the whole Jimmy G thing. After not throwing the ball a whole lot last week, what, 19 times? And then throwing it even less this time. Um, but I think, I, I don't think I ever expected the level of disrespect um, towards Jimmy G that I've heard, you know, throughout talk shows, you know, on Twitter. And it's really wild for somebody that did so much. And just now, you know, before we started recording, um, I was listening to a show. I, I can't even think of what their names are. But, you know, they had said the 49ers could have this season with uh, Nick Mullins at quarterback. And I just think that it's like, this is extremely disrespectful. Like, it, extremely dis- disrespectful. For, for all that Jimmy Garoppolo did this year, what do you have, like, tied for the most fourth-quarter comebacks, um, you know, top five, top ten in, like, every category except for, like, passing yards. Um, you know, his efficiency was, like, through the roof. I mean, it was just what, – what more do they want from Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, and what's what's interesting, too, is – is the way that the the two games unfolded, the win over the Vikings and the win over the Packers. The way those games unfolded is that it, it the the media has taken and ran with the idea that Jimmy Garoppolo threw that interception during the Vikings game to Eric Kendricks that resulted in three points after the 49ers had already developed a lead. And they took that and ran with the idea that because the 49ers, even before that point, that point were running the ball like crazy, um, that that point was the point where Kyle Shanahan lost faith in Jimmy Garoppolo and started to run the football. And that is the only reason that they ran the football, you know, to, to close out the Viking game, Vikings game. And that's the only reason that they ran out the football to close the Packers game was because that, that Kyle Shanahan no longer trusts Jimmy Garoppolo. 
which is just to me, it's just unreal that somebody would come to that determination after watching the entire season. And and that leads me to my next point of thinking that the only person who could make that determination is who somebody is somebody who hasn't really watched Jimmy Garoppolo throughout the season. Because if anything, you would know that after mistakes like that interception, Jimmy Garoppolo plays his best football. And Jimmy Garoppolo was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in the fourth quarter. And there's just so many things that are contradictory to that point that it's just, to me, it's just crazy. And and it boils down to this. Look, if you are averaging 5.2 yards per carry, that is a first down every two plays. And that, and, and, and there were moments in this game where the 49ers were averaging way more than that. 5.2 yards a carry is just the average for every little, you know, stop for one or two yards. There were runs going for eight, nine, 10, 11, whatever. And, if you are churning out that kind of productivity on the ground, if other teams, any team, I don't care if you have Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback, if you are churning out that kind of productivity on the ground, you're not going to throw the ball very often. It is safer to run the ball. There are far less turnovers when you're running the ball. If you built up the lead, the clock continues to tick when you're running the ball. And you physically impose your will on a defense and wear them down when you're running the football. There are so many benefits to being able to run the football and impose your game plan on a defense. And for them to know that they are, that you are going to run the ball and there's nothing they can do to stop it. There's nothing that makes a defense feel more helpless than playing the game that way. And that's why the 49ers kept running the football. It's not because Jimmy Garoppolo was sucking. And you can best believe that in the Super Bowl, if the Chiefs sell out to stop the run, the, the 49ers were running the ball against the Packers against eight man fronts, which are there to stop the run. And despite the fact that the Packers were routinely using eight man fronts, the 49ers were still able to generate 6.8 yards per carry. That's what they generated against the Packers. Okay, the 5.2 is averaged with what they did against Vikings. So against this, against the Packers, a game in which people are criticizing the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo for not having thrown the ball very much, they were averaging almost seven yards a carry. That means you you can essentially go 70 yards and score a touchdown in 10 plays all on the ground. Like people just don't understand how dominant that is. Yeah. It's it's unreal. You had a running back performance that was one of the best in a generation in the postseason. Like what Raheem Mostert did against the Packers was like incredible. Record breaking. That, that that's the most yards that a 49er running back has ever ran for. Uh, regular season or or postseason, right? Yeah, and I I went back and I found my tweet where I kind of broke it all down. He Raheem Mostert had twenty nine carries for two hundred and twenty yards, seven point six yards a carry. He had four touchdowns. That was a franchise, a forty nine ers record for rushing yards in a game. Period. At any point, postseason, regular season, whenever a team that had somebody like Frank Gore, you know that everybody holds in such high esteem. No 49ers running back has ever done that. And he also, that was the second most rushing yards in postseason history. I think Eric Dickerson was number one with the Rams. I think he ran for like 240-something yards. So uh, Mostert was right there with that. 
And then that was a also a post postseason record, the first player to ever in the postseason to rush for 200 yards and four touchdowns. So it was like one of the best rushing performances we've ever seen. And instead of these narrative weavers talking about Mostert's incredible game, the dude, the former undrafted free agent that's been on six different teams before he was on the 49ers. Instead of talking about that, they're talking about the fact that Shanahan doesn't trust Garoppolo. Like you are out of your mind. I think a lot of it also has to do with Mostert not being like a household name. Like, could you imagine if that were, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, how, how that rushing performance would be perceived? You know, I, I think you would see it all over Twitter. You would see it all over, you know, every talk show about just this miraculous game that Ezekiel Elliott had. But instead, it's Raheem Mostert, undrafted guy. Um, Kyle Shanahan, you know, can turn any back into, you know, uh, a great runner. So it's just, I, I think that's where he gets like the lack of respect, you know, at least for that performance. And, and then just to spin it, spin it the other way, like you said, and just the disrespect of Jimmy Garoppolo, because now they're saying because the 49ers ran so well and ran so much, their quarterback can't come through in the clutch or can't, you know, move the ball through the air. This, what I'm hearing is what, what I've heard a lot is the 49ers will have like the 49ers, well, one, people were saying that the 49ers were going to have to throw the ball to beat the Packers, and they didn't, right? Because they, they ran so much against the Vikings 47 times. Like, oh, they're not going to be able to do that against the Packers. They're going to be have to throw the ball because Aaron Rodgers went, well, guess what? Threw the ball eight times. So, no, they didn't have to throw the ball. Now, again, they did not have to throw the ball. But if they do, Jimmy Garoppolo has shown all year that he can come through in any situation. Do you want a shootout game? Do you want a ball control game? Do you want to be super efficient, right? The, the last time, um, the last regular season game, Jimmy Garoppolo went 18 for 22 against Seattle for 285 yards, no interceptions, no turnovers, and completed every pass in the second half. Is that a guy that our, the head coach does not want throwing the ball? Like I, I, I'm, I'm so confused by that, so confused. And the game before that, he he converted on back to back third down, third and sixteens, to put the team in winning position to kick a field goal and win. Like if if a coach has enough faith in his quarterback to throw the ball downfield on third and sixteen, backed up. Most teams, you know, most teams just run the ball there. He threw two interceptions this game, right? Or one? He threw one to uh, Jalen Ramsey. Um, he threw an interception that game. They didn't stop throwing the ball. It was third and 16, backed up in their own territory, and he didn't run the ball, which a lot of teams would do, just do a draw play. He went for it, and his quarterback converted. Then he went for it again, and his quarterback put him in scoring position to win the game. This whole narrative of Jimmy G and the disrespect that he's kind of taken on all year is like, man, it is more annoying than anything. Right, and and I posted on Twitter earlier that uh, laughing at the fact that that how – People thought that Jimmy Garoppolo was being hidden and you can go back and, and well, Jimmy Garoppolo has some of the best numbers in the fourth quarter. I think he's, he's either has the most or tied for the most fourth quarter drives or, or something along that. I thought I read that on Twitter today. Um, if I, if, if I knew who tweeted it, I would, I would shout him out, but I just know I read something to that effect, but I tweeted earlier that in games where Jimmy Garoppolo had a third, throw 30 or more passes, which is a pretty high threshold. I could have done 25 or more and been able to fit quite a bit, quite a bit more games in there. 
Um, but I felt like 30 and over is kind of like that, that number for, okay, we're throwing it a lot. Um, the 49ers are five and two when Jimmy Garoppolo throws it 30 or more times. And in those games, he's completed essentially 70% of his passes for 2,058 yards, 15 touchdowns and seven interceptions, which is, if you extrapolate that numbers, because that's, that's a seven game sample size. So you would double that and then add in another two games you know, this is just averages. And, and that would put Jimmy at like 4,500 yards and 40 touchdowns or, you know, 35, 40 touchdowns and like, uh, I don't know, 15 interceptions or something in like somewhere in there. And which by any metric would be a pretty amazing season, you know, and it, it's it's and those are in the games where he had to throw 30 or more times. I've also tweeted and I don't have these numbers right in front of me, but Jimmy Garoppolo against playoff teams, teams that made it into the playoffs. He's been outstanding. I think he's thrown eight touchdowns, two interceptions, and, and averaged well over 200 yards a game. And there's just so many different statistics that you can go to and reference how reliable he's been and how he's helped them win games and how in a many games he's been the reason they've won games. And even if you don't want to look at the numbers, even if numbers aren't your thing, just go watch the games and watch the dude play and look at the mistakes he's made. I mean, I think three or four, I think even more than that, four or five of Jimmy's interceptions this year have been off the hands of receivers and then have been picked off. So there's just so much context to be built out there about how outstanding of a season Jimmy Garoppolo has had, how he's not a, he's not even a game manager. He's an aggressive, you know, a, part of this offense that's capable of being the reason the 49ers win. And if the chiefs feel like they need to sell out to stop the run, which the Packers felt like they did too. And if they want to sell out to stop the run, then I have zero qualms with Jimmy Garoppolo just dicing them up because I know he's capable of doing that. And when you couple that with Shanahan and what he's capable of scheming up and, you know, that guy just, that guy has two weeks to prepare for the chiefs. And if there's one play caller that I feel like rivals Kyle Shanahan, it's Andy Reid. But at the same time, like I said, Kyle Shanahan's got two, two weeks to game plan for the Chiefs defense. And if, if he feels like they're going to sell out to stop the run after what they just did to the Packers, then I just I have no doubts that Garoppolo is going to be able to do what he has to do to win the game. I mean, just go watch the Saints game when playoff positioning was on the line. It was essentially was a playoff game and Jimmy Garoppolo just completely lit it up and, and went toe to toe for Drew Brees with Drew Brees and, and won the game. And, and I don't usually like to use the quarterback versus quarterback reference because you know, you're essentially going against the other team's defense. You're not going against the other team's quarterback. But when I was on the Eric Davis's pod, um, he brought up a good point to me that what one quarterback does directly affects what the other quarterback's going to have to do on his drive. And when Jimmy Garoppolo played the Saints, he completed 75 of his 35 passes, so 26 passes for 350 yards, four touchdowns, and one interception that I believe was one of the ones that was off the hands of a defender, if I'm not mistaken. But I can't. It was, I, off, it, it was off the hands of Emmanuel Sanders. That's what I thought. That's, I, but I, do, I wasn't for sure if that was that one. It was a little out in front of him. Yeah. But I mean, I'm just like, what, what do you want from the guy in order to feel like he can come through in games like that? Even when the 49ers got beat by Atlanta, Jimmy Garoppolo completed 65% of his fastest for 200 yards and a touchdown. No turnovers. So it's, I mean, I, I, well, I say no turnovers. Did he fumble? No, he didn't fumble against Atlanta. So, 
I don't know, man. It's just, it's tough to, we could talk about this all pod. It's, it's just tough to understand. I, I think it just boils down to clicks, views, reads, whatever you want to extrapolate it to. I mean, look at the local, local and worldwide news. It's always focused on negativity. The, I'm assuming that somewhere, someone behind a desk knows that if you're going to uh, talking negatively about Jimmy Garoppolo is going to generate more buzz than talking positive about undrafted free agent superstar running back Raheem Mostert. It's that's all I can really boil down to because it, it just seems like anybody who has a shred of knowledge about football or has paid any attention to the 49ers would not stoop to the level of, Oh, well Kyle Shanahan doesn't trust Jimmy Garoppolo. That's or that's why they ran that much. It just seems like it's taking a sledgehammer to your football credibility. You know, I don't, I don't know if I'm ranting, but it's just, it's silly, dude. It's silly. There's no other way to describe it. Yeah, no, like I said, it's it's annoying. <laughs> you know, it's annoying, especially for us. You know, we've watched every snap of Jimmy Garoppolo's. You know, every 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 snap since he's been with the Forty ers and it's been nothing but, uh, you know, way more ups than downs from the moment he stepped on the field against uh, Seattle, throwing that touchdown late in that game to, um, you know, five five straight wins and um, some of those game winning drives come from behind wins. Uh, against Tennessee, against Chicago Bears. I mean, it's like from the moment that he stepped on the field, it's been a lot more positives and negatives. And people can say that this guy makes that or whatever, but at the end of the day, Kyle Shanahan with Jimmy Garoppolo, his record is a lot better than without. Now, obviously, you know, some of the the team has something to do with that too. But again, go back to 2017, five starts, Jimmy G won all five with a poor team. So, um, there's something to it. There's something to him. Uh, you know, keeps drives going. I always tell people sometimes, you know, the stats don't tell the whole story with Jimmy Garoppolo, what he does, how he moves the chains. The um, dude is 21 and five as a starting quarterback. Right. Like, what, what, what do you want, man? <laughs> like, damn. They want him to be the reason. They, they want him to be the reason. They want to say Jimmy Garoppolo won that game. And, and then they have, but then it's like, well, uh, 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 well, can can you do it again? Like you know, like that, that that's what they want. They they, they said that the really... couldn't win a, a shootout against the Saints, and then he won in the shootout against the Saints. <laughs> you know, like it's what Richard Sherman was talking about, dude. Just constant weekly goalposts moving, adjusting. It it doesn't matter what he does. It's a when it comes to his successes, it's a short memory, and when it comes to his failures, that it never it never leaves him. So it's it's just crazy. It's crazy, but you know, there's really no answer for it. In the end, people are going to have their shitty opinions, and they're going to be wrong. And it, it, when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo, to me, it even borders on the line. If it's not an opinion, like look at what he's done, look at the games he's won, look at how he's played. You're, it's it's just silly. It, it goes against everything he's actually put on tape, but. One of the kind of changing gears, you know, but we're obviously still talking about the Packers. But one of my favorite things about this win for the 49ers was throughout the week leading up to the game. There were so many members of the media or members of Packers media or Packers fans that I saw in my mentions or all over the place that want that were trying to convince themselves that this game was going to be different. That's that that somehow when they played the first time, and I really think the only key Packer that was missing was, is it Brian Balaga? 
Right. It wasn't, or was it Bakhtiari? One of them actually got hurt. One of their, during yeah. One of their, yeah. One of their tackles basically played like the first drive and then that was it. And I think that was the only player that was missing, but somehow all of these, the, the Packers personas believed that this game was going to be different, that there was no way that that was going to be replicated again. And like I said, I know that the score doesn't look that way, but this game was was in many ways just as dominant, if not more dominant, than the first time they played them. I mean, I, the first time the defense got after Aaron Rodgers a lot more. I think they sacked him five or six times. And that was, that was how they dominated them. And the defense was super stingy this time, but this time it was just the offense imposing their will in a way that just was crazy to watch. And and what was I just saw so many different tweets and 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 writing and and pieces that were just trying to figure out a way to make this a game and it wasn't a game like you know it just goes to show you that the power that that some people have over themselves to convince themselves that you know everything's going to be okay <laughs> type of deal and i even saw one guy i can't remember his name and i wouldn't say say it even if i did remember it who was consulting like a pressure rate or something, some, some finding some way to say that the 49ers defensive or the Packers defensive front was better and more effective than the 49ers defensive front. And as far as pressure rate, maybe he's right. But to me, you just, all you had to do is watch the last time they played and you tell me who's better. And, and the answer was clear. And, and sure enough, again, like I said, the 49ers defensive line wasn't as dominant, but overall they generated uh, 12 on this. These are pro, pro football focus. They generated 12 pressures. They had three sacks, which consisted of three sacks and nine hurries. Whereas the Packers had one pressure and one sack. And, and that even that sack shouldn't have been a sack that they that they took because it was Jimmy Garoppolo rolling out and he got kind of tripped up by the guy behind him relatively early in the game. Um, and, he, and Jimmy Garoppolo should have thrown it away. And I think it was relatively early in the game. It could have been later in the game. Yeah, it, it was the second – was it the second drive? Yeah, because he took the sack and then we ended up going in for a touchdown. So – it was the second drive of the game. I think I was watching. I think that game was the play where he, he where Robbie Gould kicked the fifty two yarder. I think oh, okay, I think yeah. he got yeah, sacked right before that, right? I th- and, and yeah, fifty four yarder. Right. Okay. And and so my point being is the 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 forty nine ers defensive front was vastly superior to the Packers, even with Zadarius Smith, and and obviously the forty nine ers offensive line performance versus the Packers offensive line performance plays into that equation and, and how each defensive front is allowed to get after the quarterback. But to to me, it was just, it was just so funny to watch that and just repeat again. Like, you know, it's almost like the first game was an accurate depiction of both teams and one whole, one half of, of that equation didn't want to believe that. So they did everything they could to convince them it was going to be different. And then it was the exact same. And what's funny is when me and, and, we haven't said this yet, but me and Crogger actually got to sit in the stands um, after sitting in the press box next to each other a couple of times. This time we got to sit in the fans, which was really fun. It was me, my girlfriend, Crocker's wife, and um, Crocker, and we were all just sitting there enjoying the game. And, and while we were watching the game, especially as the Packers started to score a little bit of a point in the second half, it's, it, so for some reason while we were there, it felt like it was kind of getting close. Like the Packers maybe had a chance. And then I went back and watched the game through the condensed version. And 
I felt like the Packers never had a chance. Like it was, I don't know what of, of us being there. Maybe it was just the energy of the stadium or, or the momentum or whatever. Something being there made me feel like the Packers maybe had a little bit of a chance. And I went back and watched the game. And I was like, man, they had no chance. Like it was just domination. You know, it was the Raheem Mostert show and we were all just there paying, paying viewers. So it was, it was just dominance man, in, in <laughs> right. every way, shape or form. Shanahan was just stunting all over him. Like I said earlier, the Packers were put eight men in the box. That means there's three people in the secondary, two corners and a, and a, and a single high safety, basically just daring the 49ers to throw and Shanahan was still going to run them all over him because he knew how to exploit that defense. The only downside to putting eight in the box is if you can run towards the edges of the defense, then there's no numbers out there to stop you. And that's what the 49ers were doing. They just kept getting the ball outside the tackles. And I mean, there were so many different plays where, where you and I were watching the game and I was just, that was, I think it was a, a, a sweep to Debo or, you know, something like that. And right when Debo got the ball, I just went, Oh shit. Cause there was so much green grass in front of him. And I think he turned off like 15, 20 yards. And there were so many plays running plays where the 49ers could have scored. Like I felt like they could have broke for like 30, 40 yard touchdowns. Um, but one of the defenders would get like a, you know, a shoestring tackle or a trip up. And uh, it, it was just, it was fun to watch, man. It was truly Shanahan's genius on display. Only that guy could average almost seven yards a carry against an eight-man box. You got any thoughts? <laughs> you just... Oh, nah, my, my bad, nah. No, I mean, that game, I don't know. It was just pure domination. It was, it was. And, and the big runs to with Debo Samuel, I mean... You know, Debo Samuel like had a sneaky good game. Uh, I mean, only four touches, but he had almost ninety yards. Right. And then to to add to the ninety yards in a game where the 49ers aren't really throwing the ball, um, excellent run block. Really, the receivers in general, the offensive line. I was just looking at some um, some like just the designs on how they do it. Uh, extremely creative, and and I, I think that's the part that's a little bit harder to stop. Like I was just reading some things on. Kansas City Chiefs fans or uh, writers, and they were talking about how, you know, people are going to say, how are the 49ers, I mean, how are the Chiefs going to stop the 49ers rushing attack? And, you know, the rushing attack, the 49ers is just so unstoppable. And they're like, well, the same way they stopped Derrick Henry. And, you know, he only had 70 yards. I will say this. Yeah, I mean, they, they could come out and just shut down the 49ers run game. But the difference between the 49ers run game and the Tennessee Titans run game, Tennessee Titans line up and just run downhill. Uh, you know, line, line up, you know, and zone, outside zone, right? Or, you know, whatever they do is pretty much downhill. And, you know, it is it is what it is when they line up and run the ball. With the 49ers, they'll, they'll have Kittle out wide, and then he'll motion down tight. And then use check will motion from the right side to the left side. And then they say hike, and then Debo Samuel's doing like a ghost motion, and then they come back and hand it off to somebody the other way. So it's just a little bit harder to stop the 49ers run because you have to be so much more disciplined. It's not just straight downhill. There's a lot of window dressing that comes with it. So in the sense of like stopping the run, 100%, it, it can happen. We saw it against the um, the Cardinals. They, you know, In the second matchup, I believe it was, they held the 49ers to 34 rushing yards. 
And, you know, that guy, Jimmy G, he's going to have to throw the win. He threw the win, right? 424 yards, I believe, four touchdown passes. But um, so can it be stopped? Sure. But it's it's a lot more difficult than it is to stop Henry because Henry is just downhill. If you don't want to tackle him, he's going to go crazy. And that's what he did, right? Since week eight, I think he had over 100 yards in every single game. And this was the first game since week eight that he got held for under 100 yards. So, um, the, you know, the Chiefs, I'm pre- they're going to bring it, man. They're going to bring it. And I know we're talking more about the Packers game. I'm pretty sure next week we'll get into the Chiefs game. But, um, yeah, man, um, the, the, the Packers, they, they just had no answers for anything that the 49ers were doing. And it, it was really crazy to see. It, it was crazy to see that. Well, the one thing I want to get you to talk about uh, before I forget about it and it leaves my mind is what, what is your take? And I know you spoke a little bit of on, about it on Twitter. Uh, what's your take on the Darrell Revis versus Richard Sherman who plays real cornerback and stuff like, you know, what, what's, what's your, what are your feelings on that? So I, I understand it from both point of views, right? On one hand, do, uh, it is a lot more difficult to shadow or follow a team's number one receiver um, especially if you're doing it, you know, week in and week out, right? So, like, Stephon Gilmore. What he did this year for the New England Patriots is extremely difficult. A lot of times he was tasked with guarding team's best players, and he would just shut them out. Um, Amari Cooper had, like, one, I don't even think Amari Cooper had a catch that game uh, against the Patriots. Um, there were a couple times where, you know, teams had him and, you know, we're uh, went after him and were successful. And that's going to happen sometimes, right, when you're guarding team's best receivers. But for the most part, man, he was really good, and he limited a lot of number one receivers. Well, Richard Sherman, he, he doesn't do that. And that's, I think that's what the whole beef was about, where uh, Revis was saying, hey, you know, if you are who you say you are and you're as good as you say you are, because, you know, Richard Sherman has been talking about his numbers and his stats um, in publicly and on Twitter um, over the last few weeks, Reeves is like, you know, if you are who you say you are, why don't you go follow number one receivers? And I think that Richard Sherman's response would be, that's not asked to me, right? So, you know, when you talk about the Jets and what they did with Revis, sometimes Revis, I think they did it more based on matchups because some weeks, Kamari would guard the number one receiver, and then the other weeks, it would be Revis guarding number one receivers. So, you know, it kind of just uh, dependent more on on the matchup for that week. But as you see, Richard Sherman doesn't really do it. Now, I went back and watched some film, and he does do it sometimes. He started off doing it at the beginning of the Packers game, but I, uh, if I'm mistaken, I, I haven't heard the post-game press conference, but it sounded like that was more just to kind of throw a different look at the Packers. But I went back to 2014, and Richard Sherman was shadowing Des Bryant. Des Bryant lined up on the left. Richard Sherman lined up on that side. Des Bryant went to the right. Richard Sherman would line up on that side. Des Bryant went to the slot. Richard Sherman went to the slot. So that was a game where uh, Richard Sherman was shadowing guys. Now, I, I don't know how much, how many other times he's done that throughout his career. Um, I just remember that game specifically just because I'm, I'm weird like that. I just remember certain things. Um, but he, he has done it. To the extent of Revis or Stephon Gilmore or Jalen Ramsey, no. And like he said, you know, his, his his defense hasn't called for that. And and I do want to kind of uh, real quick go over one other thing. The whole narrative that Richard Sherman is a quote-unquote zone corner. Um, the schemes that he plays, he plays in is 
the base is a zone. So similar to like, or opposite of like the Patriots, where I think their base is more man. The 49ers base defense is more cover three zone. Now, I think when people hear cover three, they think of somebody that has to guard deep thirds. But a lot of what they do, if you watch the 49ers line up, they're pressed up from the line of scrimmage on. So in their third, they cover an entire third. So it's almost like man coverage. Um, right. And I, 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 I have to explain that a lot to, to my football players. And obviously, of course, you have to explain a lot of stuff to middle school players. But it, what people don't realize, you might be playing zone, but if there's only one guy in your zone and you got a deep third, then it's man coverage. That That's your guy in your zone and you're playing him the whole time. You know, like it, it really doesn't – a lot of times doesn't turn into zone unless you have multiple receivers on your side with multiple routes at different levels and stuff like that. But if, if there's nobody else over there, then that's your man. And then a lot of – you know, sometimes zone corners, you know, zone coverages could shift into man coverages depending on the formation and all this stuff. But it's just funny that people use the term zone corners like it's a bad thing when – a lot of those snaps ends up being man coverage because there's only one guy in your zone and you have to hold him down. Yeah, I, it, I don't know, man. <laughs> People are weird. Right, 80% of the time. The only time 49ers corners are really backing off is if they're maybe in like a cover four or if um, there's a bunch formation to their side. And and when people say zone, I mean, like I said, they're, they're pressed up on the outside with a single high safety. So... Technically, you have safety help, but that safety might not ever get there. So more times than not, you're kind of still on an island, (laughs) you know, like you're still on an island unless somebody runs like a post right to the safety. If he runs anything uh, vertical or outbreaking or a slant or a a deep out or or comeback or go route, anything like that, it's it's all you. You know, Sherman has to guard all that digs, uh, crossers. You know, all that's going to be the 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 cornerback. Now, where they will have help is if somebody runs like a shallow drag, then the then that corner can kind of fall off and look for something that might be coming to him from across the other the other side of the field. But for the most part, it's not your typical sky cover three zone that the 49ers are typically playing. Or 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 that the Seahawks played. And if you weren't and if you weren't well versed in what happened, essentially right after the 49ers had won, or even during the game, I think it was, Darrell Rivas was just basically calling out Richard Sherman for not and I th- I think there's history to it, but Darrell Rivas was essentially calling out Richard Sherman for not shadowing the Packers' best receiver, which would be Devontae Adams. And and you know, Richard Sherman Sherman gave up a big catch to Devontae Adams when he was on him at one point. Uh, so, and he even said, said after the game, you know, I gave up that big one and that, that was my bad. And, and then, you know, the icing on the cake for the 49ers was Richard Sherman. Um, Aaron Rodgers went deep, you know, and basically with, with under two minutes, around two minutes left in the game. And Richard Sherman basically ran the route for the receiver where the ball was overthrown. Richard Sherman was over the top and, and intercepted the ball. Um, Packers had already used all their timeouts and that was the, the, the 49ers essentially kneeled out the clock after that. So the game ended with a Richard Sherman interception, and, and I don't know if that's what sparked Darrell Rivas, who's been out of the game, to start making his comments. But so that's that's kind of the history of it. It was it was weird, um, and and Richard Sherman I think probably got the better of the exchange, basically saying like, you know, hey, one I'm still playing, two I'm in the postseason, which you know nothing about, and three, you know, I, I don't know. 
it's it's whatever. They're just going yeah. back and forth. But there were so many interesting things about that game to me. And one of the biggest ones to me is it, it seems like throughout the course of the season, and, then, and again, this is a, a change of subject type of deal. I feel like the 49ers have – and if you haven't seen it now, obviously they're going to the Super Bowl. You know, we weren't ever going to see it if you haven't seen it now. But I feel like the 49ers offense and the team in general has like evolved into its 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 evolution is complete. It's their final form for all you Dragon Ball Z fans out there. It's they and and when I say final form, I don't mean like you know exactly what they're going to do and how they're going to beat you. I mean that the 49ers offense has evolved so much into a, a beast that can beat you in multiple ways. Like we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo go toe to toe with Drew Brees in a game that came down to the final drive. And he put the ball on the money to George Kittle, who made an outstanding play and got the team within field goal range. And we've also seen a, a, an undrafted running back rejected by six teams run for over 200 yards. And we've seen the 49ers trio of running backs run for, you know, major yardage, We've, you know, and we, it's just, we've seen the 49ers win in so many different ways, utilizing start, you know, down so many starters, utilizing backups that are playing well, like Ben Garland is right now at center, like Emmanuel Mosley is at corner. There's just so many different, like, like we've come full circle with all of these different storylines and different moments throughout the season that it's, I feel like it's the offense in particular, we've seen it's just evolved throughout the year. And now we know what we have, you know, and it's, it should be encouraging to 49ers fans going into this game that the 49ers offense can choose how it wants to attack, attack the, the chiefs. Then the chiefs have a pretty good running game. I believe, I believe the chiefs offense has a pretty good rushing offense. But I do feel like that their offense will run through Patrick Mahomes through the air. You know, I'd have to, and again, I'd have to take a closer look at their running game to see if they've been, they've been among one of the best teams. But um, it's just, to me, it's the 49ers have just evolved and grown and grown into a, into a, you know, just a beast that, you know, pick your poison. Like, what do you want to do? What do you, how do you want to beat this team or how do you want to attack this defense? But yeah, so, okay. So the, I just pulled it up right now. I was talking the chiefs are 23rd in the NFL when it comes to rushing yards per game, they average under a hundred rush yards per game. Whereas they're fifth in the NFL when it comes to passing yards, 281 yards a game. So they're very much a, we have Patrick Mahomes, arguably the best player in the NFL right now. And that's how we're going to beat you, which is by no means a fault at all. If you have a player that good in an offense that fast with a coordinator uh, and a play caller like Andy Reid that is that good, then that, that's not a fault. But I'm saying that the 49ers can pick and choose how they would like to beat the Saints. Or excuse me, I don't know why I said the Saints, the Chiefs. And and to me, it's just been awesome to watch how many different ways the 49ers are able to win and how many different ways that they can succeed on offense, whether it's through the running game or through Jimmy Garoppolo. And it's just, it's encouraging to watch. Like, it's just, to me, there's, there's something to be said about a team that can stare at an eight-man box and a, and a playoff team in the NFC Championship game that is soul selling out to stop the run, and you're still going to run all over them. Like, to me, that is the ultimate sign of disrespect. 
Like, sure, the 49ers could have taken advantage of that and probably passed all over the Packers. Jimmy Garoppolo probably could have had a Raheem Mostert type of game if Shanahan felt like that was the game plan. But instead, they took the Packers' eight-man box and ran all over it. Somebody like George Kittle had one catch for 19 yards, but I, like, I tweeted this to you. I guarantee you he'd never been happier because he loves to block. And he was oh, a one What's that? I said on one target. Right. Yeah, it was one, one of one. The 49ers, I mean, that should scare you as a team about to face the 49ers. The 49ers obliterated the Packers, and their best player on the offense in George Kittle only was targeted one time, and that was not because the Packers shut him down. It was because the 49ers decided they were going to run the ball all over you. They, the 49ers only attempted eight passes. It's not like they kept trying to get Kittle involved and, you know, they were incomplete. He was tightly covered. It wasn't open. They only attempted eight passes. And Jimmy Garoppolo completed 75 of them. So to me, it's just been awesome to watch this team evolve into a team where every single player is completely bought in in what Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have promoted since day one. You have receivers that are blocking their ass off. You have you know, you have backups or excuse me, you have starters who are getting benched like Akella Witherspoon who immediately go to look for work in other areas. Like go to the special team coach. How can I help you? Give me Mosley stamps. And he was right in the middle of the celebration after the 49ers beat the Packers for the champion for the NFC championship. You know, you would think maybe a guy who had just been benched might have a little bit of you know, a, a little bit of salt, a little bit of discontent, like he's not happy where he is, but that's just not this team. And, and it's, to me, it's, it's huge kudos to the men within that locker room that have banded together and the coaches um, all the way up to the top, all the way up to Jed York that, that has cultivated this atmosphere where everybody's together, everybody's in it together. There are no, no, nobody's in it for themselves and it's about the team and it doesn't matter how they win. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't give a shit if he doesn't throw the ball. George Kittle doesn't give a shit if he doesn't catch the ball. And, and even it's the inverse. Running backs don't, don't care if they're not getting carries and the, the 49ers are throwing it. It's just, it's been so awesome to watch what this team is capable of evolving into and whether they win the Super Bowl or not. It's, I feel like the 49ers have built something that is capable of sustained sustain success over the next, whatever it is, three or four years. You know, it, it's just been impressive to watch and, and it, it's cool. It's hard not to be invested in these guys having been in that locker room since Shanahan started with the team. And, and, you know, obviously I haven't been in the locker room as, as, as much as a lot of the beat writers, but you know, I've, I've come to know a lot of these guys and especially Raheem Mostert, who I play Xbox live with frequently. The dude is the most humble, humble guy who just was biding his time all year, not complaining about a single thing about the fact that he wasn't running the ball uh, and, you know, he, he started the year off as a fourth string running back that was kept kept on the team because he was great on special teams. And now here we are going into the Super Bowl and he just authored one of the greatest running back performances the NFL has ever seen. And, you know, it, it's just it's just crazy. Like I, I don't know how else to describe it. I wish I was better with with words, but it's just been so impressive to watch what this team is capable of or what this team has become over the course of the season, despite the fact that the last two years have spent pretty much losing all the time. Right. I think the, the, the thing to sum it up, sum up what we're seeing with the 49ers is um, they execute. 
they're executing on both sides of the ball. And 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 I think as a team, especially if, if you have good players like the 49ers do, that's probably like the ultimate compliment. You know. Just so you, you, there's no, there's no BS. There's no political agendas. There's no, you know, me or, or mine. There's just execution. It's just execution. And I, I had tweeted out earlier. I was like, man, I was watching Emmanuel Mosley. And I'm like, man, he's, he's just really sound. You know, he comes up, he, he, he makes tackles, you know, he plays his coverage correctly. You know, it's not anything like super flashy or anything like that. Um, There's not like raw, raw. He just does his job. And if you look at the 49ers, that's pretty much what the team is. A bunch of guys that just do their job on both sides of the ball, um, whether it's in the run game, blocking, whether it's in the passing game, uh, you know, George Kittle getting the ball in his hands, Debo Samuel is just – guys just do their job, man. And if, if you get enough dudes doing their job, you can – and you have good players, you can find yourself in the Super Bowl like the 49ers will be in a couple of weeks. Right. And that's, um, you know, I think, I mean, that's really all I, I know. I just went on a rant there, but that's really all I have, all I have to say. And it's, I'm just really impressed with this team. And, and even more importantly, I'm really impressed with the people in within that locker room and the type of people that are, I know I tweeted that a while ago that, you know, pro football focus was basically crowning Richard Sherman as, as the best corner that they've ever graded essentially. And my take was, is he's a great corner, but he's even a better person than he is a football player. Just if you, if you know about what he's done off the field and the type of things he does for people and stuff like that. And uh, it's, and to me, that's kind of just a microcosm of this team as a whole. It's just, they're just a bunch of good dudes that are going out there and, and executing their jobs in a way that that's, they're in it for each other. And it's just, it's been pretty cool to watch. And hopefully the, the 49ers were, will reap the fruits of their labor come two weeks from now when they, they compete in the Super Bowl. Um, but we'll see. They're going up against a very, very, very talented team in the Chiefs. And I, I feel like it'll be a great matchup. You have like a, a, a top defense versus a top offense. You know, and that's kind of what, what, what keeps me leaning a little bit towards the 49ers is you have a – an, an extremely high-powered offense in the Chiefs, and you have an extremely high-powered defense in the 49ers. But then you have a, a 49ers pretty solid, a, a really good offense versus a mediocre Chiefs defense. And so maybe there's where the, the scale tips a little bit in the 49ers' favor. But we'll see. We'll get into that. Call, I don't want to call their defense mediocre. I think it's a little bit better than that. But I think if you just kind of look at all things uh, considered, I think overall the 49ers have the better team. Like, you know, I'm mad in how you go pick your team and it shows the overall and, you know, one team's overall might be like 87. The other ones might be like 85. Well, I think that's what you're getting here where I think the 49ers as a team are slightly better, but I I don't think, I know a lot of people are like, Oh, chiefs defense is not the chiefs defense that we're used to seeing. They they are better than that. And they have, they have been, I know they, they have been, been a lot better, better over this, the, the last course, the yeah. second half of the season, but I was watching them. I was watching them against the Tennessee Titans and it's, they can be had, especially if you have an offense like the 49ers who do a lot of different things. They're, they're going to have to really, and this is going to be different. There is going to be different, something different than they've seen offensively. So, you know, it, it's going to be, it's going to test their their uh, how disciplined they are. And I, I think they'll find out, you know, exactly how good they are. Because I, I did see some things that were a little undisciplined. They jumped off sides like three straight snaps um, early in that game. Just weird things like that where, you know, when you're doing that defensively, 
there is a little a bit of I, I want to do what I I want to do. You know, I'm going to do my own thing. And if you have enough of that throughout a game with the 49ers, the way that they they run run the ball, or even in the pass plays, if you have a guy thinking I'm going to do my my own thing, that one that one guy getting out of position will end up being a 50 yard touchdown. You know, and I think that's the difference between you know. Uh, between like you know the 49ers and Tennessee Titans, where it, the, the offense is not even close as far as what the offenses are able to produce, and I think that's what I, you know. Reading some of the things that Chiefs fans are saying, they they think that the 49ers offense is similar to the Tennessee Titans, where it's just oh let's just run the ball and run the ball and run the ball. And it's like man, it's it's a lot different. It's a lot more complex, and 49ers really can hit you over the top with the best tight end in the league. Um, Chiefs might say they have the best tight end in the league, but um, and Debo Samuel, you know, Debo almost scored by running people over last game, you know, over the middle. I mean, you know, it's just there's a lot of other things with the 49ers offense to it, and I I, I think people are kind of missing that because 49ers haven't had to do it so far uh, in the playoffs. Right, and I, I don't want to get I don't want to get rolling too far into the Chiefs because that's definitely going to be something that we cover. Um, We'll, we'll devote an entire episode to it. Uh, and like, like I said earlier, I feel like me and Crocker, at the very least, we'll, we'll record two more podcasts between now and the Super Bowl. They might both be next week. There might be another one this week. I have no idea. We'll, we'll figure it out. But you can look forward to, to another, at least another couple episodes of Crocker and I, and, and Kevin will, will jump on here too, uh, one or two more times. And so there should be a ton of content coming your way. Um, obviously you can always find us on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Rob underscore louder L O W D E R. And you can find Crocker at Eric underscore Crocker and always hit us up on there. Say what's up, talk football. You know, we're always tweeting on there and, and sharing our thoughts outside the podcast. Uh, make sure you guys, uh, you know, rate, comment, subscribe, download, do all that stuff with the podcast that keeps, uh, that keeps our numbers up and keeps us going. Um, and again, as always, I appreciate you if you're here. I appreciate you if you're listening. Um, it's, it's always a pleasure to know that we got, and you know, that, that brings up another point is, uh, I, I probably want to say there were maybe four or five times between Crocker and I, maybe more where fans at the 49ers game, you know, kind of stopped us and said, Hey man, what's up? Uh, I listen to your guys' podcast all the time. It's awesome. I appreciate you guys doing it every day or, you know, whatever. I can't remember exactly what was said. And, but it was, that was, that was really cool. And it was really humbling. And it was really awesome to know that the amount of time we talked spend talk for talking 49ers with you guys, you know, manifests itself in ways like that because it makes it all worth it. So it was really cool to, to have so many fans come up and, and say what's up and introduce themselves. And I didn't have any idea that I was, that I was recognizable. I told Croc before the game, I'm like an average looking white dude. So, I mean, I thought, I thought I had that going for myself and I could fly under the radar, but um, you know, that was not to be. And, and I really appreciate the fact that you guys were, were, were saying what's up and introducing yourself but that's it for us for today um again i appreciate you guys being here uh, as always uh, keep listening keep tuning in keep showing us love on, on twitter and, and on itunes and the reviews and all that good stuff we really appreciate it um we do see it so keep showing us love um but again we'll be on here a couple more weeks before the 49ers are in the super bowl but for now this is striking gold signing off Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.